I met him 15 years ago. I was told there was nothing left. No reason, no conscience, no understanding in even the most rudimentary sense of life or death, of good or evil, right or wrong. I met this six-year-old child with this blank, pale, emotionless face and the blackest eyes, the devil's eyes. I spent eight years trying to reach him and then another seven trying to keep him locked up because I realized that what was living behind that boy's eyes was purely and simply For over 40 years, the Halloween series has thrilled and terrified audiences. From its low-budget origins to spawning a new era of slashers. The franchise remains a cultural touchstone around the world, often referred to as the Gone with the Wind of Horror. From the first chilling notes of the iconic score to the final frame, join Joel Brown as we explore the iconic horror series, digging deep into the characters, the storylines, and the spine-chilling scares. Welcome to Talking Shape with Joel Brown, the ultimate podcast for Halloween franchise enthusiasts. Maybe you can explain to me what's so special about Judith Myers. As she sat combing her hair, unaware, her six-year-old brother crept in quietly with a kitchen knife. He then proceeded to slice the base of her skull, scraping her spinal cord. When she turned, raising her hands in self-defense, he continued stabbing into the nerves and arteries of her palms. Three more stabs into her sternum, penetrating her heart. My next guest's career began when she was awarded most photogenic at her uncle's beauty pageant in California. And from there, years later, she went on to become June 1974 Playboy Playmate of the Month. This opened up several opportunities for her to appear on film and in television, including Sonny and Cher's Comedy Hour. However, it is her portrayal of Judith Myers in the classic horror film Halloween that has endeared her to horror fans worldwide. And if that wasn't impressive enough, she can now say that an Oscar winner has cleaned fake blood off her. Absolutely thrilled to welcome Sandy Johnson. Hello and welcome. Thank you. I'm happy to be here. I appreciate the invite. You're someone who's been in demand. I, I'd imagine since around 2018, uh, mm-hmm. you've been making appearances at horror conventions, cameos in indie films, and you're about to take things international, I believe. You're about to head over to Germany for a convention. Now, a bit of a two-part question here. Uh, what's it like to have such a resurgence sort of later in your career? And when are you going to head down under here in Australia? <laughs> Well, um, I must say that after being away from acting for about 45 years, uh, I was a teacher of special needs children and other, other ventures, but it, it's very exciting to be back. It really wasn't a plan to come back, <laughs> but uh, when my current agent found me and brought me back to do cons and stuff, the the fans were saying, you know, you should do movies again and such. And I thought, you know, why not? I'm still uh, alive. So that's what I'm doing. I'm very excited uh, to be back in films and studying lines again. It's a lot of fun. And is it true that it was actually your agent that got the original Halloween footage featured in the uh, the 2018 uh, Halloween? Obviously, it's sort of a different universe within the storyline, but um, he kind of pushed for that. Is that how that uh, began? 
Well, what happened was they were looking for me, uh, Blumhouse was, because they wanted to use that footage in the cemetery. But in order to do that, they had to have me sign off on it. Well, of course, I'd been missing for 40 years. Nobody knew where I was, and I didn't know anybody cared. <laughs> and so uh, when he did find me, he said, by the way, Blumhouse is about to stop shooting Halloween 2018, and they've really been wanting, you know, to use that scene. So he got me in touch with them. And then they uh, were able to get my signature so that I could be in it again. And it's something that you've really embraced, uh, obviously, sort of uh, since 2018, um, because you've got a website where fans can reach out to you and all sorts like that. And obviously, these are these horror conventions. And I guess what's it like, sort of, I guess, you know, you you say like they all trying to find you, like, you know, they're looking for uh, a missing person or like someone that had just fallen off the face of the earth. Like, What's that? What's that like? (laughs) Well, it happened the summer of 2018. I was sitting on the couch. My husband was asleep and I was doing words with friends with my best friend. And I got this random text that asked if I was Sandy Johnson from Halloween. And I mean, it's something that I hadn't even really thought about in many years. So it was so random. And I said, yes, who is this? And they said, um, my name is Rick and Reek, and I am a, a talent agent and I do cons or cons. And he said, we've been looking for you for about eight or nine years now. And we would really, he said, I would really love for you to go, you know, with me as your talent agent and, and go to horror cons. And I was just kind of sitting there thinking, what? <laughs> All of that was a big what? So at first, of course, I thought it was just some wacko uh, in the night reaching out, but I continued to listen to him and he he was making sense, although I have really never been to a horror convention or thought about one, but I did look it up and I saw that he did have a website and he had hundreds of people with him. So to make a long story short, after I convinced my husband that it was... (laughs) that it wasn't some crazy person. Um, I decided to do it, uh, providing he could go with me. And it turned out to be amazing, actually. We did we did uh, the H40 reunion in Pasadena. That was my agent wanted that to be my first convention. So we turned down the ones before that, and, and that was my first one. And it was... Wow. I mean, I had no idea what to expect. I um, had never really hung out with horror people. I didn't know what they would be like. I didn't know what the convention would be like. I really was going in with no, no preconception whatsoever. I just didn't know. So when we went in and I sat down, he had a big banner in my table and everything. And I'm just sitting there and they opened the doors and this rush of people started coming to me. And my line was like endlessly long, just like that. And I just, I was just, I just couldn't even believe it. I thought, oh my gosh, all these people want to meet me and talk to me. And it was an amazing weekend. We had the best time. The fans were wonderful. I heard their stories and all the ways that Halloween had accepted them and 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 just made them belong to a community and I mean it was it was just wow I was just 
it was totally not what I'd expected. I didn't know what I had to expect, but we both left there just saying, oh my gosh, this was so much fun. The people were amazing. We just had the best time. And so when it was over, my agent said, well, Sandy, what do you think? He said, a lot of times I find people and I'm excited and I bring them to one and they say, no, nah, I don't think that's for me. So what do you think? I said, hell yeah, it's the best time ever. <laughs> so that was the beginning of it. And now he books me all that he can. And uh, we're just excited. My husband goes with me. He manages the table for me. And it's it's just been amazing. We have met so many great people. And then, of course, when we were at uh, Texas Frightmare a few years ago, the fans were saying, you know, you should have social media so that when it's not con season, we can still visit. So uh, we set that up. And now, of course, I'm very busy on there. And we just I have so many friends everywhere we go that we get to see them again and they they follow me from to different cons and it's I don't know whether to say that it's just been amazing and wonderful you mentioned the uh, h40 uh, anniversary con at uh, Pasadena there uh, there is a 45th anniversary happening now I'm not sure if you can answer whether or not you would be attending that one also I cannot answer that question <laughs> there is going to be one <laughs> and I'm sure it'll be wonderful. I know the first one, people came, I mean, of course, I was overwhelmed anyway, because I had never been to one at all. And for that to be my first one, I mean, there were so many people there. They came from all over the world. They came They came from Germany and, and Australia and UK and Ireland. I just, I was just so amazed that they came to bring things to be signed. So I'm assuming that many people from around the world will come again to this one. So I just, I find that so cool. And I guess for you with the H40 uh, reunion, like was that a good opportunity sort of to catch up with, I guess, people that you hadn't seen in almost uh, 40 years, I'd imagine. It was the, um, my boyfriend, uh, David Kyle from Halloween was actually there. He was in the booth next to me and it was, probably a one-time opportunity because he's one of those that does not like to do cons. And he said the only reason why he did that one was to see me again. So it was really fun. We were right next to each other. Of course, we took a lot of photos with the two of us and all of that. So, and then I got to, of course, PJ and Annie and Will Sandlin and all of those were just, and Nick, they were all there and it was so fun to catch up with everybody again. And, and I continue to do that at all the cons. It's always fun to see them. They're all wonderful people. And they welcomed me right in as if I hadn't been missing all those years. <laughs> Does it surprise you that uh, how many fans the Halloween film and franchise has generated? I mean, just sort of, you know, your character alone, you know, it's, it's probably less than, so let's say five minutes on screen, but do you think people love you and the Judith character because it's the one constant say in the franchise besides the remakes and you know Halloween 3 which was a deviation but it doesn't matter which universe or which film they watch <laughs> it all stems back to that night in 1963 where the shape uh you know first kills his sister in Judith Myers yes I I it's different I think it's different for different fans I think there's different things that attract them to the character um, one of them is certainly that she is referenced in all of the films. Uh, of course, she's Michael's sister. Um, and I think a lot of them, um, the to them, it's so iconic because 
it has become such a huge franchise with so many films that it was the first few minutes of the very first one. So to a lot of them, that is just an iconic moment because it started it started the whole franchise out. And at the time, of course, we didn't know that's the way it was going to be, but it, it turns out um, that it was. And of course, there were a lot of young boys watching too that kind of grew up <laughs> that day. <laughs> and I guess that's sort of a good transition to the next question, I guess. Correct me if I'm wrong. Did you originally pose for Playboy in order to pay for your father's medical expenses? I did. My my I was very close. I loved both of my parents very much. I really loved my dad. He got cancer and I was young. My mother would also die soon after from cancer, but he um he wanted to go to Mexico and get a treatment. Uh it was called Leotrell. It was basically made from apricot seeds. And supposedly there had been some you know, good results from it, but it was very expensive. I thought, you know, if I could do something that would make, you know, maybe eight, ten thousand dollars at that time, of course, that was more money. Maybe I could help him do that. And so a friend of mine said, you know, you should try Playboy. It's kind of hard to get in, but you should, you know, you should try. So I did. I got a hold of them and um, they had me come in for a test shoot. And um, they accepted me. So yes, that I was very excited. My father did not know that. <laughs> I just told him I was working a lot of extra hours and things. He would have had a fit. But so it was it was kept a secret. And of course, he died before it. Um, it might have even before it came out. I'm not sure. My mother was actually very excited about it. She she was very supportive, whatever I wanted to do. That's just the way she was. She was always very supportive. Um, and so she she had no problem with it. She was very proud that I was a model because, I mean, I did other modeling as well and uh, acting and stuff. So she was very proud. And one of my sisters was also very excited about it. So I had a few family members that I shared it with and and uh, enjoyed it. Yeah. Did you spend much time at the Playboy Mansion or did you meet the likes of Hugh Hefner and all that? Was that sort of part of, I guess, the gig? It was. I I started out in Chicago at the mansion there. That's where you're invited uh, or where then. I don't know what they do now. But then if you were a playmate, you were invited to the mansion there and we did some of the shoot there and they had like a private suite behind a hidden staircase that you stayed in it was the playmate suite it was very special and it had a lot of cool stuff a, a underground like a bar that was in the bottom part with the pool so you could watch people swim on the side of you and it had a bowling alley i mean it was quite a place but then when we came back to Holmby Hills in California, you, of course, as a playmate, were on all of the lists to be invited. So you could only bring pretty girlfriends with you. <laughs> Nobody else. So I would not have wanted my less than pretty girlfriends to be embarrassed. So I had to be careful who I invited. The parties themselves were pretty amazing, had a zoo on property, and I love animals, so you could go out and walk through the zoo and and uh, deal with that, and there was a beautiful pool and a grotto underneath, and anything you wanted to eat, I mean, it spoiled you for sure. It was a beautiful place. They did pay me a lot of money 
I worked with Mario Casilli, who was just a fabulous photographer. So I'm very proud of my layout that he did. I, I think it was beautifully done. So yeah, for me, it was a great opportunity. It was a great opportunity to network and meet people and get other jobs. So, and it was fun. I mean, I wasn't a, I came not from a wealthy family at all. So there was a lot of things there that I got to experience that otherwise, you know, I would not have been able to like eat anything you want. <laughs> uh, so yeah, for me, it was, it was a very good experience. I think it did a lot for self-esteem, for my self-esteem. You mentioned opportunity there, and I guess, yeah, being Playmate June 1974, you, that you would sort of become part of the the Playboy agent, Agency, I believe it's called, um, I mean, which opened up avenues to feature in film and television. I guess besides Halloween, of course, um, through the agency, did you audition for any roles or did you know any other Playmates that maybe auditioned for a particular part that would go on to be a big hit? I don't know about a big hit. They have uh, followers, my other two films. One is um, Hots, and a lot of people that have seen Hots will come to the conventions to get things signed for that. And the other one was Gas Pump Girls. And um, I think both of those have had playmates in them. I can't recall their names, but they're definitely, um, they definitely have had some playmates from the other films I were uh, I was in. And both of those films were actually a lot of fun to, to make and uh, had a good time filming them. We talk about the Halloween reunion. Is there like a Playboy uh, Playmate reunion or is it because you're, you're alumni, like do, do you still connect it in some capacity? When Hefner was still alive, apparently they still had a meeting every year, like a convention in um, Hollywood or someplace. I found out about that because my Playboy agent now, he handles, he works with collectors around the world. And because I hadn't signed Playboys all of those years, they were in demand. So he looked me up and became my agent for that. So he he uh, sells them or auctions them online on the adult part of eBay. So anyway, he was the one that told me that before half, they did have these conventions um, that were a lot of fun. And a lot of his, the girls that he, he's been, him and his wife have been managing Playmates for, I think it's like 35 years or something. So of course, he always took a lot of girls to them. But other than that, I know they do something in Hollywood that uh, it's just kind of celebrities, but a lot of girls do show up but they don't pay any of your expenses or anything. So if you don't live there, that's not really a good option. Now, do you recall um, uh, being part of the Playboy uh, agency? Like, was it Trankus or was it actually John Carpenter, Deborah Hill, or even Owen uh, Yablon, so who reached out to Playboy regarding casting the role of Judith Myers for Halloween? I think it was uh, John Carpenter and Deborah Hill. It was, I'm not even sure that that film had been, purchased yet I'm not sure about that part um I don't know what you know if that had already happened or not but I I think it was John Carpenter because I that's who I was interviewed by not some other agency or anything 
you you do your uh, your audition i guess like you because it's all, it was on site at the time uh, <laughs> they were still filming uh, what i guess like the, the process of that but i guess when you know meeting john carpenter he would go on to have a legendary film career as a director and he's produced like one of his really close producers deborah hill who you know they'll kind of like partners in crime with like the the hits that they created together what was it like meeting them was it like i don't want to say like or was there an aura around them but could you tell these people like they they had a vision or they had something about them um well of course it was it was the very beginning of their careers still very very low budget I worked well with them I found them to be very professional and I was impressed I've always loved technology that's something I've always been interested in, and just gadgets in general um my mother loved gadgets kitchen gadgets and she had a drawer full of things that people would always ask, well, what does this do? Well, what does that do? So I think I kind of got that from her, but I do love technology now. And he, of course, had that Panaglide camera, which is which was brand new. I was very impressed by how it worked. I just thought that was so cool, the one long shot and all of that. So I did find that impressive that even though very low budget, they had kind of taken a leap forward in their methodology. And uh, recently I was talking to someone in the film industry who was saying that it, those shots are used in uh, film school sometimes to uh, teach, uh, you know, about that technique and, and everything because he did such an amazing job with it and it was right at the cusp of using those. So, yeah, I thought that was very special. And with the audition, uh, I believe you said that they uh, wanted to see how you, how your pipes were, how you could scream. Um, can you remember anything else about the audition uh, process? Um, I remember that it was kind of a long table and there were several people sitting there. And because it was in a residential neighborhood, it was the first time I had ever been interviewed anywhere other than a a regular, you know, office or production studio or whatever. So I remember walking up the steps thinking this is really different. And then, and then being in a home um, was different. And then when he asked me to scream, my first thought was, we're in a neighborhood. If I scream, one of the neighbors going to think, right? I didn't know yet that they were already filming in the house. So I didn't find out till I went out that day that they were already filming another part of the house or I wouldn't have I would have known they'd already been screaming a bunch in the neighborhood can you recall was it uh the Tommy Doyle house or Lindsay Wallace or was it actually the the Myers house that uh, this interview or audition was conducted um I'm thinking the best I can remember at the time of course we hadn't seen any of those houses but I do think it's the house where um Nancy Loomis was killed, Annie. You mentioned David Cole before, who played the role of uh, Judith Myers' boyfriend. How was, I guess, that process as, as an actor? Because me and my wife always say when there's either love scenes or sort of, you know, intimate scenes, like how actors, do, do they feel not necessarily awkward, but like, how you know, how's that process? Yeah. <laughs> that morning we were introduced. Here's your, Sandy, here's your boyfriend. <laughs> oh, hi. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, it was fine. I mean, uh, John and Deborah had just said, you know, play with it, be playful, be fun, just enough to to make people like you and um, nothing, you know, over the top, just fun and playful is what they wanted. So 
you know, that was fun. That's what we did. We were just fun and playful. And it was, it was fine. We had a good time with it. And, um, and we, we actually didn't have to practice that part all that much, which was probably good. Maybe it might get stale if you did it too many times, but uh, yeah, they just said, you know, just sit there and, and be playful. And so that's what we did. The, the camera, the new type of technology, the one shot, it's the, fir the first shot of the whole film, you know, one of the most uh, important as well in regards to the story. And just like you mentioned, like the production type of things, because I believe that as they were coming in, they had to change lights and on the way back, they had to change those lights again. Just your memories of filming there, because it was such a, I mean, you may not have known at the time how big of a production it was, but did you sort of feel like, oh, I, I better get this, if not, if not the second take, first take, because uh, it, it was such a, I guess, elaborate shot. Well, of course, I wanted to get it because we had practiced all of the stuff several times during the day. And I knew that now they were filming. So, you know, the price just went up. So we needed and I knew that it was it was a lot of work for everybody to get it right. So I didn't necessarily be the one you know that kept blowing it <laughs> so yeah I'm sure there was some pressure although uh it was probably self-induced I don't remember feeling the pressure from John or Deborah or anyone as uh the the story goes it's uh Deborah Hill's hands uh, opening the drawer getting the butcher knife and obviously the the stabbing motion I guess from a, a production standpoint I, I'd imagine it's just her hand in front of a camera and you're kind of in your position what I mean just sort of filming that I mean what, what was that like um again it was different than being in a studio or a set because those are not real this was a real house with a real staircase and I could hear them coming up the stairs so I could hear the stairs it was an old house when they were you know coming up the stairs I could hear them getting closer and closer it was dark and you didn't have all those distraction of a lot of people on set and, you know, mics moving around and things. So it was creepy. You know, I kept thinking, okay, they're going to come around the corner and I'm going to die. <laughs> and so it was, it was, yeah, it was a bit scary listening to them get closer. And then I could hear them, you know, their footsteps coming around through the first room and of course turning and seeing the large knife. And I had blood pellets in my hand. So I wanted to get the timing right on that. And I wanted to fall without, you know, like breaking <laughs> a limb. So there was, you know, there was a lot to it. I, I was, uh, it was scary for sure. And then at that point, of course, you have a knife coming at you. So, yeah. And then after I, you know, did this, then I had to fall. So, yeah, it was an interesting shot to pull off for sure. You mentioned the uh, the blood capsules and all that there. I believe um, you've said in a previous interview, one of the other assistants or people helping was a, was a little bit rough with mm -hmm. you with uh, wiping it off, but um, a future Oscar winner offered to um, help tidy you off in Jamie Lee Curtis. <laughs> so yeah, I said at the top uh, that you got a new claim to fame, having a Oscar winner uh, help clean <laughs> you off. Uh, so that's a, a new, a new Monica you could uh, say. That's right. Yes, she, it was her first film and uh, she was very sweet and helpful and she was in the trailer with me and I just, I guess I was um, making sounds of discomfort, I must have been, because she said, uh, well, maybe I could help her with that. 
And so she did. And she was uh, much more gentle. The story would go on to go that, you know, everyone thought, oh, it was a big, it was a big, massive hit, um, but it was a bit of a slow burn, uh, you know, and then obviously developed into a, a cult uh, classic and would inspire future 80s slashes. I guess sort of from your perspective, like when, you know, you go to the premiere, which was, I, I guess, a, a pretty low key thing for an independent film, but I guess when it just became bigger and bigger, did that surprise you? And when the likes of Jamie Lee Curtis would go on to have a bigger career in the eighties, was it good to sort of know that you could both kind of started on this independent film that just did amazingly? Well, it's kind of a different story for me probably than the other people because they of course were keeping the entire script somewhat under cover. So I didn't have access to the entire script. I only knew me and what I was doing. So when we went to the premiere, I really didn't know uh, about the adult Michael serial killer or any of that. So the film scale scared the hell out of me. <laughs> and um, so I was impressed with the film because I, I thought, wow, you know, this, this is a very scary movie. And then when it uh, came out, of course, the reviews were not very good. And I thought, oh, you know, well, that, that's a shame, but it's low budget, you know, it happens. And then the fans started wanting to see it. And so they started having to put it in more theaters and bring it back and stuff. And so it's really the fans that propelled it and still propelling the franchise, you know, to where they are now. So I really, in the beginning, didn't think so since the ratings, you know, they weren't good. And, but, you know, that happens. There's a lot of movies that, that the Raiders have said, nah, not good. And the fans of whatever genre have loved it. So you can't always go by that. But then of course I left California really before uh, all the slasher stuff and all that started. I moved away and uh, got divorced came back to Texas because I'd lost both of my parents. I just didn't see any reason to stay there. Just made me sad. So, you know, that's when I got reeducated, became a teacher and all of that. So I kind of missed all of that. I was very busy as a teacher. So I kind of missed out on that part. Whenever my agent found me, I kind of had that whole big gap. So I had gone from thinking it wasn't very successful <laughs> to someone contacting me in the night saying, you know, you have thousands of fans around the world. So that was the gap that was missing for me. It was like, you know, the guy that sleeps, you know, waking up and all those years later, and it's a whole different world. Well, that's the way it was for me. I just went from having uh, left that small film uh, in the 70s, a whole bunch of traumatic things happening, coming to Texas, starting a new life, and then having another career for many years, and then suddenly, boom, 2018, I'm thrust back into it out of nowhere and learning that all these people are just super excited that they found Sandy Johnson. So yeah, for me, it was different. I don't think anybody else <laughs> kind of lived it like that. And your love of animals, working with animals and uh, special needs children. How did, uh, what sort of prepared you for, for, for that? Or what, I guess, introduced you to doing those things? Um, animals, I guess I just, I mean, I loved animals since I was a little kid. I was uh, 
always had a cat from the time I was probably five. And if an apartment didn't allow a cat, then I snuck the cat in and kept it hidden. I've always had cats. I couldn't live without them. So I think that was just part of my nature. I just needed animals. Uh, I also was pretty depressed as a child at times. My mother was mentally ill, had a lot of episodes, and um, but I refused to move out from her. My dad really wanted me to come live with him because he knew it was probably not the best environment for me, but I just, I really love my mom and I just couldn't leave her. So I think animals were uh, a comfort for me during those times. So I just, I just have always, you know, needed them. As far as uh, children, of course, I love kids. And um, I just, I didn't necessarily start out to be a special needs teacher. I started out to be a science teacher. And my um, <clears throat> advisor was uh, moving me towards middle school. She just thought I had a good personality for middle school. And she turned out to be right. I loved it. And um, when I was uh, doing my student teaching, it was in a regular classroom and I was not happy. I did not like it. It was a public school. It was very regimented. You couldn't really do anything creative. You had to follow just exactly what they said every day. They gave you your lesson plans and this is what you did. And everybody up and down the hall teaching your grade, they wanted you to be on the same thing every day. And I found that counterproductive to being a good teacher. So I went back to my counselor and I said, look, I, I don't think I've made a mistake about being a teacher, but I'm not happy where I am. And so she says, you know, you probably need to be in a private school. So I started interviewing for private schools. And the one that I fell in love with and decided to hire me was a school for special needs. And it turned out to be the perfect choice because I had kids on all levels. I had brilliant kids that just had some issues with learning it one way or another. Um, just, I had everybody and it was amazing. I did hands-on science. I wrote all the curriculum. Of course it was based on state guidelines. So, I mean, I still had to do that, but um, I got to teach the way those kids needed me to teach. And I never got hassled <clears throat> about the methods. Um, I didn't have anybody else that was saying, well, you know, I'm two chapters ahead of you because I didn't, although we had textbooks, I didn't use them all that much. We did hands-on, we did field trips, we shot rockets in the park. We did just everything we could do to make it real for them. And so it was, it was a wonderful time for me, but it kept me very busy. That's why I didn't know what was going on in the rest of the world. And I guess just a final question. Were you part of the rap party for Halloween? Because um, there's some images that have uh, appeared online of uh, John Carpenter and Tommy Lee Wallace wearing the Michael Myers mask and playing guitars. Were you uh, privy to that rap party? You know, it seems like I was there, but that was so long ago. <laughs> that I, I wouldn't swear by it because sure as I did, they'd come up with some photo show and I wasn't. But I think I do remember being there and I think they had like a projector screen at the party with it playing on there. 
but that could have been one of the other films I was in. I don't remember. It's been a long time, but I, I think I was. <laughs> we'll say we'll say you are. We'll say you are. But like you said, there'll be <laughs> there'll be some fan that would be able to uh, prove or disprove anyway. But yeah, I guess right. before we uh, wrap up, you've been very generous with your time, Sandy. I guess um, you know what's the best way for fans to reach out to you. And I guess um, you you have future uh, conventions coming up. Um, please let us know uh, what you're up to. Okay. Well, um, I do have social media. I have Facebook, which is The Real Sandy Johnson. I have Instagram, which is Unicorn Sandy J. Then you can go to my website, which is unicornsandyj.com, um, which the unicorn came from my agent. He named me his unicorn because when he found me, he said I was his magical, mythical creature. And so I thought that was funny. So I took it as my own as unicorn and I use it, but that's where it came from. So on my website, fans can mail things in for signatures. They can purchase photos. They can purchase collectibles that I can sign for them right on there. Uh, what else? They Any picture that I've had on Facebook, they can actually request it on there and I can have it printed and signed for them. On there is also my upcoming films, and I need to update it, but some of my podcasts are on there. I think I need to hire somebody to do that. <laughs> I can't keep up with it. So, yeah, I'm happy. There's so many ways that fans enjoy. I do cameos. I just did one yesterday. So I, I love connecting with the fans. Now, of course, cons are my favorite because there's nothing like actually being there with them, to, you know, to touch them, to hold their hands and stuff. So yeah, I have quite a few this year. There's only a few that have announced me. Uh, I do have Germany. I have Florida and I have Kentucky. I think that's the only one. So that's Scarefest, Spookula, and then the Weekend of Hell, I think it's called in Germany. So there'll be, there'll be more coming in other places. And if they uh, watch my Facebook, of course, I or Instagram, I do. Uh, announce them and I also put them online along with the films uh, you know whenever the upcoming cons are they're on there too as far as films I during COVID I did a couple different cameo films because obvious reasons uh, one of them was in Hungary and it was it was a slasher film and I was the mother of one of the victims. All of the victims were people who abused animals. And when I first read the script, I said, you know what? I love this. If we're going to kill somebody, let's pick people that abuse animals. So when I saw it, I he had sent it to me uh, for me to look at just as a fan. And I said, you know, I love that. The acting's great. The story's great. And I did love it. I didn't know that he was sending it to me because he wanted me to do something in it. Uh, he was, I just thought he was asking for my feedback. So they came back, they were doing a, another sequel to it. And he wanted me to play the mother of one of the victims. So anyway, that was uh, kind of fun. And that one I think will probably come out this year. I did another one called Halloween Slasher, which is not out. I did another one called Paradolia, which was uh, it was a cameo. It's a it's a UK film, and I think I think it's also going to be very good. It's a short film, 
and I play the, the late night DJ on the radio. So that was a fun one. I enjoyed that. And then I have a whole list of other films that hopefully we'll shoot either this year or next year. Um, I know funding is tough on indie films and the economy isn't the greatest right now. So, you know, it takes time and I understand that. So I'm patient, but I, I do have a couple things that are pretty exciting that I'm that I think will happen. And I'm, I'm particularly excited about those some very good roles. As I said from the top, uh, you're in demand. If it's not horror conventions or independent films, uh, you're um, reaching out or having people reach out to you online and via Cameo. So absolutely in demand. And I think that's why I said uh, that you're indeed to horror fans, especially fans of the Halloween franchise. Sandy Johnson, you've been very generous with your time. Greatly appreciate it. And all the best uh, for the year and the future. Thank you. Same to you. And I do hope to meet you in Australia someday. <laughs> Yeah, Judith Myers, Myers, row 18, plot 20. Hmm. Yeah, Myers, Judith Myers, I remember her. Couldn't believe it. Such a young boy. Larry, you lost? Why do they do it, goddamn kids? They'd do anything for Halloween. That was Graveson. Oh, I know. 18, 19. Judith Myers. He came home. Thank you for listening to Talking Shape, the ultimate Halloween franchise podcast created by the fans. Make sure to stay up to date with the latest episodes by following Talking Shape on Twitter at Talking underscore Shape and liking us on Facebook. Feel free to give us a review on Apple Podcasts and on Spotify. We appreciate your support. Until next time. Go home. Go home!